Welcome to episode 302 of the AMPM podcast. In this episode, I speak with the professor of Amazon, Howard Tai. We talk about some of the crazy tactics and things that were going on a few years ago and some of the differences between Asian-based sellers and Western-based sellers. Plus, we talk about how you need to really think about your business different now as an Amazon seller or an e-commerce seller and some really cool things about some stuff that's happening over in Pakistan. This is going to be a great one. Enjoy. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. We explore opportunities in e-commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast where money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are you, you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin, King. Kevin King. The professor of Amazon, Howard Tai. How are you doing, man? Welcome to the AMPM podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for having me on. So, Howard, why do people call you the professor of Amazon? I, you know, I see all your Facebook posts and all your, your emails and everything out there, and uh, that's, that's kind of how you've become known. Where did, where did that come from? Um, it's actually um, in the, like the 2017-ish, uh, when I was um, in China, uh, Zhongshan University, I was kind of teaching some uh, course to the university, uh, just a couple of course, and talking about um, Amazon and e-commerce in the U.S. And that's where I guess uh, the professor came out from. Yeah, I remember when I first learned about you. I think it was from uh, from Leo. Uh, Leo was uh, at a, I think it was like a Manny Chat conference or something like that here in Austin, and we were at dinner, and he's like, "Oh, have you heard about this uh, this mastermind that's going on in Vegas? This guy." From China, this like this like professor of Amazon guy is coming over and like and bringing all these people, and it's going to be this advanced level stuff. I was like, how do I get into that? How can I go to that? He's like, I don't know. It's like invitation only, and you know you got to fill out this form and all this stuff. I'm like, well, well, hook me up. And then I remember reaching out to you, and I was like, who who is this professor guy? And I reached out to you, and and then you said, yeah, yeah, come on, come on. I think there's a few people that were like, no, don't 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 let Kevin come. We're gonna have be sharing a bunch of secrets. Uh, you know, he might, he, he's teaching a course with his, uh, I think back then it was called Illuminati and now it's called Helium 10 Elite. He might, he might share some of those secrets in there, but you're like, nah, dude, come on out. Uh, uh, just, uh, here, here's the bank account. Send me some money for your ticket and then uh, come, come on out. And, uh, I remember we went out to this mansion in, in, in Vegas and it was, uh, it was cool. You had uh, a good little group of people there, some very advanced, some huge sellers, like sellers doing like a hundred million plus. Uh, and just, you brought in a couple of uh, guys uh, f- from, from China and a, a few people from the U.S. were speaking. And it was just some really high level stuff. So that's kind of what you're known for really is these high level masterminds, these elite groups, you, you know, you have the elite, uh, what's it, the elite seller society that you do. So how did that come to be? Uh, really? Well, uh, it was, I think it was like 2018 where I first had my first mastermind. Not a lot of people knew about it, but it was actually uh, based in uh, uh, Shangri-La, Shenzhen, so uh, Futian uh, district. So we had uh, announced like we're going to have a private mastermind with about, uh, you know, we're going to have groups coming from all over the world to come and talk. But majority is we'll, we'll have like Chinese sellers too and, and Western sellers, right? Because uh, it was never done before. So it was always about like a black box, how China works. 
my, my goal is always how do you bring like both sides together, you know, skills and uh, the whole entire uh, different kind of uh, ranking, different kind of techniques uh, to, to one place. So that's where we had all these people from China came over, high level, I mean, advanced people. And then we had also, uh, we also had like people from all the world. We had like uh, Israel, we had India, we had like US, we had everywhere, everyone from everywhere coming over. Yeah, I remember now, you, it's jogging me once you said that, that was the first event because I remember I was at somewhere else and a couple other people the, that I know in the space said, hey, we just, we were over there in China for, maybe they're there for global sources or they're there for some other thing and then you were having your deal. And and they went to it and they thought, man, this was like incredible. We a- Afterwards, we sat in this room with this, this, uh, this guy who was just like doing crazy numbers on Amazon. They're doing all this like black hat type of stuff, all this crazy stuff back then that was going on. And this wasn't at your event. This was like, you know, out at a, another restaurant or something. And they like, yeah, this guy took us to this place and showed us this whole phone bank of stuff, like all these things that crazy things, you know, Amazon, I mean, uh, like the Wall Street Journal and some others have since done stories on it. But it was it was some crazy, crazy stuff that was going on. So like you said, the Western people were good at marketing and good at building listings and all that kind of stuff. And the people from Asia were really good at uh, figuring out how to kind of manipulate the algorithm and the system and, and stuff. And the two sides kind of wanted to know what each other was doing and wanted to learn. And it, it was a really, really cool mix of philosophies and techniques that, that came together. Correct. A lot of the, um, you know, right, currently right now and, and before, uh, the Chinese are really good with uh, strategic and actually and analytical and very, very detailed in, in, in origin on exactly how to rank products. You know, when you're talking about conversion and everything, uh, it, on my first mastermind, we already talked about that way before anyone really talked about conversion rate. You know, in order for you to get your products up, so tactics, you know, like a lightning deal, best deal, how to rank those deals onto the like the deals uh, uh, page. You know, that that's something that no one really knew about in the Western world. Yeah, and these guys had, these guys in China had figured it out. I mean, through trial and error, through sometimes access to different kinds of information. They, they had figured out this is exactly what you got to do. And this is exactly how the system works. And they had really broken down the A9 algorithm. Like if you do this and you do this and you do this, it's going to rank. It was very insightful stuff. And there was a lot of gamemanship going on back then. You know, that, that kind of thing, it still happens, you know, from place to place today, but it's way, way less than what it, what it used to be. And Amazon's cracked down. You know, there was, there was people at one time, you know, inside information coming out of Amazon in India and China and other places, you know, and there was all kinds of, uh, you know, the search find buy stuff they've cracked down on, some of the other ranking techniques they've cracked down on. So now, would you say it's more of a level playing field or from what you know or what you've seen out there, is there still a lot of uh, differences in between the way a Chinese seller approaches selling on Amazon and a, a Western seller does? So currently, uh, let's say, uh, first, let's go back and talk about the China side right now, what they're currently uh, doing. Because the most recent, uh, like where all these big sellers got uh, suspended for um, review manipulation or other things where uh, you can talk about the biggest sellers out there on Amazon got suspended and they're still, the the account is is gone, okay? Uh, The brands are gone. So... China started to understand this is not the right way to do business because it's not sustainable. So what they're doing right now is really clean. They're 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 like really clean. They're looking into uh, external traffic, and they're also looking at Shopify, uh, other venues 
instead of Amazon. They're not putting all their eggs in one basket anymore. So this is what they're doing. So I would say I can tell they are doing really good on TikTok right now. They're doing really good on advertising on TikTok. So go coming back. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's different now in the China side when they're doing Amazon. What are some of the most shocking things uh, that you could reveal that were going on year, a few years ago, maybe that uh, was like, holy cow, that they're able to do this or do that. What are Most of it doesn't exist anymore, but what are what would you say are some of the things that really were kind of uh, eye-opening? I would say probably, you know, how when they were saying about ranking, you know, Chinese are, are able to, uh, they're very mathematical and they know a lot of those algorithms, how it works. So with, with knowing all that, they would, you know, try to kind of rank products without even having too much purchases at all. You'll see them going up in the first page of Amazon without even having to 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 even have any sales or even even reviews for the matter. Yeah, they had figured out like add to carts and they were doing like wish list stuff and they were doing like, you know, like the little heat map things and there was brushing that was going on. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that was that was going on that Amazon really is is cracked down on. It gave them a competitive advantage at one point. And that's why a lot of Western people were, were curious, like, what the heck is going on? Not that they wanted to do that, and most of them didn't do that, but they wanted to know what was going on. What are, what are they up against? What are they competing against? And so I think that's why a lot of Western people were like, hey, uh, I want to know this stuff. You know, How hard is it going to be for me to, to beat someone that's maybe playing by a different set of rules? Correct. Uh, that, that's probably the reason why the so many people uh, go to the a mastermind that I had in the very beginning, because they want to understand why these uh, Chinese sellers are uh, like having an edge and one in, and also I believe it was mainly because uh, maybe uh, they were getting attacked or something and how we were able to uh, make sure that uh, what, what was needed in order to protect yourself. That was mainly what we were teaching uh, during those masterminds. So you don't want to have your business from, uh, from like uh, eight to nine figures and then all of a sudden become uh, nothing based on uh, people getting attacking you and stuff. Yeah, that's one of the things that I was most curious about because, you know, there there were sellers based in Asia that were actually targeting accounts and like, you know, changing out the pictures. They were somehow being able to, you know, go in and change out the main photo from, a, you know, a, a resist. I remember the one, there's one that was, was resistance bands and they would change out the main photo to like a pornographic picture or something like that. And just and immediately get a listing suspended. Uh, you know, it's their top competitor, and they were able to do all kinds of crazy stuff. So when I went to one of your events, I was like, I need to know how the heck are they doing this, and how do I prevent it, exactly like you just said. And the answer was, you know, you need to get your own first-party account, a vendor central account. And if you have that, if you do this, this, and this, you can protect against that. And that was what was important to me, is because it, once on Amazon, once you hit a certain level of sales, you become a target by a, a lot of people, not just people from Asia, but people all over. You, you know, your competitors get jealous. They want to take you down right before Prime Day. They want to do you know crazy, crazy stuff. And you need to know how to protect yourself. There's so much money that's flowing on Amazon. It attracts good people and some of the worst of society as well. And so you, you have to know how to play, be offensive and be defensive. And that was what one of the, the things that you were, were teaching is look, this is how to be defensive. Not you shouldn't be doing this stuff because you, you could put yourself at risk. But you need to be defensive, and this is how to defend against it, which was was really really cool, and uh, what what I really uh, enjoyed. 
Yeah, like uh, I always tell people, like you know, if if you want to be understand to how to do computer security, you have to understand what the hackers are doing in order for you to uh, like maybe build software in order to detect malware or other things like that. So it's really important to understand the basics of the principle of how these attacks are getting done. I mean, honestly, it's not all about china attacking it is worldwide everyone's attacking uh not just china you got india you got israel you got uh, uh uk you got like uh, germany you got uh, russia everyone is and especially in the u.s u.s if you talk about it u.s china doesn't even sell in the u.s for supplements but they're just getting attacked left and right in the supplement space based on actually probably the you know the u.s people or u.s against u.s you know what do you think the difference is in sellers from Asia versus Western sellers? I mean, not not so much in the, uh, you know, the black hat or the tactics, but just in general the mindset. Because I, I remember going to sell, to events and this is pre-COVID, so I'm sure these aren't happening now. But with well, maybe they are. Uh, but I went to an event and it was like two. It's a Sunday afternoon. It was like two thousand people in this room in Shenzhen, Amazon type people. Some of them were sellers. Some of them worked for companies that were selling on Amazon. And there was like tons of these going on like every single weekend. You don't, I mean, a conference in the U.S., the biggest one is like maybe Prosper or Sale and Scale. It's about to come up, you know, 1,500 people. And that's, but this was like, and that's like once or twice a year or something like that on that level. This was like every single weekend. And do they see this as a huge opportunity to get ahead? Is it the competitive nature of the culture? What is it that you see the differences between the two cultures uh, in, in selling and e-commerce? Uh, I feel like... In China, it, there's a more of a sharing kind of uh, environment. You see all these uh, events. You see thousands and thousands of people. You know, like just every week, you have two or three of these. You know, events all, all over the country. And then you have in the U.S., you see like um, like the big sellers. Anyone that are big sellers are actually um, they don't really have a lot of good employees it's usually the seller themselves or the owner themselves are the one that knows the tricks of the trade so they don't want to uh share to even their employees because they're scared the employees will actually learn this and actually go in and open their own shop and do the same thing so you you see all these uh big sellers in the u.s western side are always holding on to all the secrets and also, as well as I want to um, point out, um, Chinese sellers are very good at analytics, analytics skills to analyze what is going on. You, okay, analyzing the the niche, they're really great at product selection. They're great at analyzing why why is the ASIN that is not doing too good. How do you improve the the rank without even having to do too much PBC in a, a white hat way? You know, so there's a lot of ways that they look at things that in very detail, I'm talking about in minute detail that the Western uh, sellers don't really do. So that's the reason why if you go he um, head on with exactly what to do, a lot of the Western sellers don't really know exactly what it is. Yeah, that's one of the reasons like when I'm doing product research uh, on Helium 10 and I'm looking at you know X-ray, it'll show you what country on there that the, the seller is based in based on the registration with Amazon. Before we didn't really have that information. Before Amazon made that, you know, public as part of a, you know, a couple of years a year ago, it was always in Europe, uh, in some other countries, but it only came to the U.S. recently. And 
Now, when I see that, when I'm doing product research, if I see that a particular category on, on page one is more than like 60, 70% sellers based in China, that's something that gives me a big red flag. I'm like, you know what? These guys have a major competitive advantage. One, who knows what kind of techniques they might be doing. Or like you just said, they're analyzing stuff in the most minute detail using custom tools that are, are only in Chinese, you know, stuff that we don't even have um, that's doing all kinds of a uh, crazy stuff. And they also have a competitive advantage with sourcing. I mean, there's, I know you just recently posted a, a, a TikTok video where you, a, a fellow's talking about uh, the disadvantage that American or Western people have in sourcing, that there's two different prices. Uh, you know, I, I, when I go to Latin America, uh, I always say, you know, and I go into a store, you know, a local little convenience store to buy some water, there's the gringo price uh, and there's the local price. And, you know, my price is usually a little bit higher. And, and the same thing happens a lot on Amazon. So the Chinese-based uh, sellers that are over there in China that speak the language, that have the that know the culture, that have the connections, they often can get lower prices. And this this TikTok video that you just recently shared showed, you know, I think the guy was talking, it could be as much as 30% in some cases if you don't really know how to do it. So what are some things that Western sellers can do to, to try to help when it comes to the sourcing side of things? Honestly, uh, a lot of Western sellers, they try to go directly to the factory. So directly to the factory is great, but they still there's still a communication and there's still kind of a culture barrier, like you said before. Um, you know, it's it's one thing that you've seen that person. It's one thing that you uh, you go into those uh, maybe KTV or drinking with them and stuff like that. That's another thing. But then uh, Chinese sellers do all that as well as they speak the language. It's like it's like someone that is not able to speak the same language as you, and you're trying to communicate. There's always a barrier, right? So it's it's also the way they they talk to each other, the way that they. Um, like help each other and it's like uh, let me help you do this without any string attached but in, in and then you kind of then the factory itself will will say okay uh you know uh, he offered to help me with this now i have to offer to up one more to to uh, give to look good and i will help him even more so uh, one thing goes another i'm helping you do this you're gonna i'm gonna try to help you even more and do this so then you have this kind of like a favor thing that they do so it's kind of like um uh, showing face, so in the in the community. Uh, so if you want to, uh, like, let's say, get a better price, you just have to drink with them, talk to them, go visit them more often, and have a presence in China. Because a lot of the times, like a lot of Westerners can't even get any terms because they they're not even based in China. Because they're they there's no way they they can um they can go after you when you're in the U.S. and you don't pay. Let's just say if you got terms, how do you do that? They don't feel safe. But if you're based in China, you have an office, you have anything happens, they can actually go to your office and say, hey, um, you know, you owe me money, you know? So it's a, it's a different story in that case. So a lot of people um, in the Western or that are buying products in, in China doesn't have um, this kind of advantage as well as the culture, as well as uh, uh, going there as often as possible. You go there once a year, maybe global source or, uh, you know, some kind of event that you go over to China once a year. They go over often, like maybe even uh, if you're based in Shenzhen and your products in Shenzhen, maybe once a month or, or more. You know, and drink tea with them, talk to them. How's your wife? How's everything? You know, so there's it's uh, it breaks down a lot of the upfront thing. So it, after a certain while, you become best friends with the supplier. That's where that's gonna lead to. If you're gonna be a best friend with the supplier, 
how can you not give them a good price? How can they not give you a good price as a seller? So that's what we're looking at. Well, what, that's what they you see. So that's what you see too. Like a, a lot of people don't want to, Western sellers don't want to use a sourcing agent. They're like, well, I have to pay the sourcing agent a commission or they're going to add something to the price. And I just rather go direct it. But what you don't realize is a lot of times the price, they, whether they add a, a something on top or whether the factory kicks them back something, it depends on the, the arrangement you have. It's still oftentimes going to be better than anything you could get on your own, even once all those fees are in. Plus you have someone like on the ground there managing it and, and that can really stay on top of it for you. Uh, and that's what I think a lot of uh, Western sellers just don't look or they don't even know. How, how, how would a Western seller even find a good sourcing agent? There's a lot of uh, sourcing agents out there. Um, you know, we, we, we also do uh, sourcing for big sellers as well. Um, we're based in China. Uh, our, I have an office in China uh, that does that for a lot of the big sellers as well. China was was where a lot of, and Amazon kind of courted this, and they kind of backed off of it a little bit, but they were courting sellers from China and factory selling direct to try to get better prices to, to the consumers on Amazon. And so that's one of the reasons that a lot of uh, sellers based in China started to sell on Amazon. But one of the things I'm seeing right now is there's another country that's uh, actually taking over, and, and that's Pakistan. It seems like in Pakistan, you know, there's a, a Facebook group that has uh, over a million people in this Facebook group that are learning, either selling on Amazon, learning how to sell on Amazon, or they're being VAs for Amazon sellers. And they have an advantage over the, the Chinese-based sellers because they speak English. You know, English is one of the, the languages, the younger generation, at least in Pakistan, because it used to be uh, part of Britain, uh, that actually speak, speak some English. So they have an advantage there. What are you seeing? I know your your company, Signalytics, is doing some business with Pakistan. What are you seeing going on right now in Pakistan? And, and should we be paying attention to either utilizing that as a, an asset, as a Western-based seller? Or what what should we be considering there when when, when it comes to e-commerce and the, the Pakistani-based seller community? So within Pakistan, it's a growing community. It's uh, If you recently looked at Marketplace Pulse, they're the top three uh, of the most sellers in Amazon. So what I what I can tell you is um, there's two groups, right? Of uh, like a Facebook group that actually um, has over one million Amazon sellers in within the community. Community. There's one that's called Enablers. That's one the one that uh, the group that is 1.2 million, I believe. That is uh, that Bradley Sutton actually went over and they kind of. Um, uh, hosted him to uh, speak within the crowd. I think one or two times. I, I don't remember. There's another group that is uh, about uh, 1.1 million uh, sellers in the community. Uh, it's um, uh, Extreme Commerce. It's uh, by Sunny L. So uh, we, we we talk to him, him and their group a lot, as well as the other uh, enablers as well. So we know that we know that community, and uh, what we do in Pakistan is actually helping uh, the Pakistan um, people to uh, teach them how to uh, teach them uh, so about Amazon and trying to train them, getting them better at uh, doing Amazon. And because they're, I mean, the, the community, the, the government, and the country is uh, not doing too good right now because of the inflation as well as the currency devaluing so much. But we're trying to help the, the country out. And they have the best, uh, one of the best um, Amazon employees out there, I would say. Because a lot of, it's hard to find um, employees that knows Amazon uh, and at a good, good price. Because in the U.S., everyone that really knows Amazon, like I said, 
they they want to keep everything to themselves, and they're the owners. And you can't not hire. You can't. It's hard to hire an owner, an entrepreneur, right? So you over there, it's a lot easier to find talent, and that's what we do. We we do an RPO, which is a recruitment process outsourcing. We help uh, sellers. Uh, we're talking about big brands, big uh, big aggregators out there, and other uh, companies to help them find. A good fit. So there's a lot of uh, talent there. I would say we have an office there in Pakistan that ho- that like sits a lot of our employees that that we kind of find for the company that we kind of help uh, train the employees on what they need and what they want. So it's pretty a uh, good good a uh, good environment to find people over there. In the past, a lot of Amazon sellers have used the Philippines in some cases India for programming and stuff, uh, but a lot. Uh, a lot of cases, it's been the Philippines is where they've gone for VAs because the Filipino people, they're hardworking, they're, they're fairly loyal, they speak English. Do you think that Pakistan is going to become over, overcome or has it already overtaken the Philippines as like the go-to spot now for, for good quality, well-trained VAs or, for your business? Don't get me wrong. Uh, Philippines is, uh, is great. We actually have employees in the Philippines we have an uh, office also. We have uh, also in Pakistan and also in China and also in the U.S. So they're they're great at communication. Like you're talking about like uh, emails. You're talking about like uh, on phone on phone calls, like those uh, call centers. You know, um, they're great at that uh, communication wise. India is great with tech, tech uh, like developers. Um, you know, uh, IT very technical. But in Pakistan, it's more on the analytic and marketing side. You'll see a lot of. So there are different skill set in different countries. Uh, it's not like uh, Pakistan is good at everything. But uh, I would say that w- what we were looking for as an animal and seller to find talent to help you grow, um, that Pakistan is, they have what we want. Analytics people, uh, brand managers, uh, PPC people, really good uh, people out there. And by Western standards, they work fairly inexpensively because I, I think the average wage in, in Pakistan is like somewhere four or five hundred dollars a month, something like that. So if they can make a little bit more than that, where they're selling on Amazon or actually, you know, being a VA and helping somebody out in that as they're learning as well and make more than that, that, that it's, they're super eager and super hardworking uh, and, and want to really help themselves and, and their family. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, of course. They're very excited. You know, they want to learn. They want to also uh, uh, support their family. If you want to find um, like talent, like really good people in Pakistan, uh, we don't we don't suggest to try to lowball it at four hundred, six hundred dollars. You know, we we, we do pay uh, pretty good when we hire because we want to keep them as well as uh, make them um, don't have to worry about too much on on like uh, uh, on them trying to survive. You know. So it's, 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 if you're looking for a good person, it's going to be a level more than $400, $600. So what would, what would be a good person's salary? If I, if I came to your company and said, Hey, help me find a VA in the Philippines, uh, what should I expect to pay? So depending on the arrangement, but let me tell you, like, uh, for like, uh, for us, when we come in, we pay at least uh, $800 for a, like, uh, entry level brand manager. Uh, for a uh, team leader or something like that, we would pay up to like one thousand three hundred for someone that could lead a team. That those are just the basic uh, how much we pay. We pay more than the industry standard, but we just making sure that we keep them long term. Cool. 
And now you, your background, I mean, before, right now you're, you do, you have a service-based company that helped called Signalytics.ai that helps sellers. I'll let you talk about that. Uh, you, you're doing this thing in, in Pakistan, but before all that, you, and, and you also, you know, you do a, these big events. You just did one a few months ago in Paris that I went to, you know, you Howard ran this castle on the outside of Paris and had all, all these top sellers come for this, uh, like a three or four day mastermind there that was really, really cool. Uh, so you're doing that kind of stuff, but before all of this, you actually were a seller. So can you, you so back, we're back in the hoverboard days or something like that, right? Where you kind of got caught up in that mess. Can you tell us that little, little story about, and I've seen pictures where you had a huge warehouse, like in, in LA, like, you know, you're driving around on a forklift or something like that, or some crazy pic, I don't remember what it was, some crazy picture. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the backstory of uh, the professor before he started doing all this, uh, helping other sellers that you were a seller yourself? So yeah, I, I started, uh, selling online in 2003 right after college computer science and uh i i I didn't know what to do uh uh, with all my books and my uh software that i had from the from school so uc san diego and then uh i i thought about hey let's sell it on ebay so i was selling it on ebay and it was really easy so i was able to like sell a lot of uh everything that i had I didn't want to get rid of because I was graduating and I didn't need it anymore. So that's where I started that entrepreneurship with uh, e-commerce. And then after that, I was, uh, then I came in and had a, like a partnership with someone regarding selling uh, ink cartridges. That's where uh, I started selling on uh, eBay. And later on, we manifest into other countries. We were selling all over the U.S., with all the marketplaces back then. And then we were selling worldwide with all the other marketplaces like Price Minister, Rakuten, Japan. We were selling uh, Price Minister, all the different countries back then before anyone could even uh, think about selling multi-international uh, marketplaces. But we were we were doing really good. In UK, Amazon, eBay, uh, all the ones out there that was uh, doing pretty good volume. Um, then after that, um, we started uh, you know, wholesaling products out, um, where we have to actually import it in and, uh, kind of consolidate. So after I, I thought about it, I was, we, we wanted to like have an office. So I jumped, uh, I jumped the gun and, uh, took my wife, me and her to Shenzhen, China. That's where we started Amazon in 2009. So, and then, uh, then we, had an office, we grew the office up to 150 people from China and US warehouse. Uh, the warehouse had like maybe 22,000 square feet. We had big racks, forklifts and everything. And we were packing, shipping, um, doing like uh, maybe 23,000 orders a day. I believe so. That was the highest point we had. 23,000 orders a day uh, selling on different marketplaces. And also uh, it, was, it was a peak, that was a peak. So. That was really interesting because we had to, we were, we were one of the you know, oldies, right? We had to have a warehouse. We had to have, uh, you know, uh, marketing and, you know, customer service. Not like right now, Amazon FBA is so much easier now. You kind of only focus on marketing mainly, right? Of course, purchasing, but, you know, marketing is the main thing that you kind of focus on. But before, as a seller, we have to uh, do everything. We had to have a warehouse. We had to ship it out, you know, all those headaches. So, so you're like a top 100 seller on Amazon back in the day, right? I was the in in all of Amazon. I was probably ranked 35, but 
but uh, I always tell rank a uh, top fifty. It's easier than top hundred. But uh, <laughs> it's easier So what happened with that business? Did you did you end up selling, or did uh, uh, some big disaster strike and it, you had to move on, or what happened with that business? So what happened to that business was that uh, we were doing good. We we're like nine figure seller, but uh, to a point where in uh, two thousand and I think it was fifteen or sixteen regarding the hoverboard incident where uh, we were the best seller. We were talking about we're uh, selling a 1,000 hoverboards uh, on a normal day, right? Uh, maybe 500 pieces of hoverboard in the U.S. side and another 500 pieces in the rest of the world on you know, Amazon or eBay or whatever marketplace that we're selling on. Uh, even, uh, I think it was Newegg. We were selling on Newegg at, at the time. Uh, so we were doing really good, but eventually uh, we were doing so much that you know containers coming in you know when when you on amazon when you do stuff you roll with it right the, the more the more sales the more sales you have the more inventory you need to buy and then all and then it just keeps on rolling you try to roll over and everything so it grows more and more and uh we're at a point where when the disaster of, pe- of people trying to uh make a lot of money on on the hoverboards they have the cheap quality products which led to explosion and Everyone, uh, the government started like uh, like cracking down, saying that you cannot import these uh, dangerous goods anymore. So that's where you get like boatloads of uh, of hoverboards weren't able to come into the, to the country, and uh, and we were and having Amazon uh, at the time, they actually uh, stopped everyone from selling it, told everyone uh, that bought it before to return it. They're, Without any any problems, and in the in the Europe itself, they told everyone to just uh, throw it away. You don't need to, and then they just without any without anything, um, uh, you know, without without saying the not all hoverboards are bad. They don't, you know, some people had different quality, right? They, so we had all we were strict on uh, on quality control. We had to test everything before we shipped it out. But uh, some a lot of people just had really cheap wiring and also the battery was really cheap in order to make more profit that's where it hit us the most we uh, we had so much uh mm-hmm. we had so much getting made at the time in the in the factories and we had so much that was shipping uh out to the customer and we had so many that was sold already everything that was sold was uh was re- a lot of them was returned back open boxed or used and everything that was flying over there couldn't get to the end user or couldn't sell anymore and we had like factories making so much more that we couldn't even um even send it out anymore so it it went to like it was like a standstill where all these inventory wasn't able to uh get out and i got returned a lot so that's where we actually um did really uh really bad where we lost a lot so then from there on my wife was really uh, sad, saddened because we had to like sell com- a couple of properties, and uh, in order for us to be able to, uh, you know, be able to uh, float the boat, you call it. So then you just with that big hit, that's that's a major hit with all those losses of stuff that's deposits already made to the factory, inventory you can't sell, getting hit all, hit with all these fees coming back out of your account for all the returns and stuff. So did you just uh, so you had to dig into your own pocket to help cover payroll and help cover a few things and at that time did you just say okay um, we'll just wind this thing down and, and move in a different direction? Yeah. Then I had to. I, I, then I said okay. Uh, I'm getting getting older now. I can't take this kind of risk much. I'm like 44, 
So um, I have to like kind of make sure my wife doesn't um, doesn't get stressed out anymore. Because when I when you sell on eBay, you sell on Amazon, you get you get kind of like uh, stressed out a lot because of you might get your account suspended anytime. You don't know when. Um, so. But for me, it's it's okay. I can handle it because I've seen it so much that it doesn't really uh, affect me too much. But I can't I can't really stand it when my my wife gets uh, gets stressed out. It's just the only thing that I can't get I can't I can't uh, I can't handle because you know she how can I affect her life? You know, it, it's okay if I can affect my life, but then if it affects her life and then she's sad and I feel bad. So I stopped what we were doing, which is selling, and started doing this thing that was teaching, like professoring, you know, out there. Uh, how do you how do you see that going in the future? There's there's tons of courses out there now. There's tons of uh, masterminds and events. How do you stand out? How do how do you make sure that you can continue doing that? I mean, I have the same issue, you know, with the Billion Dollar Seller Summit. You've been to quite a few of those. I'm gonna see you here again in next week at the. Billion Dollar Seller Summits. What is the, you see as the challenge there in, in teaching? Uh, you know, so many YouTube videos, there's so many things that it's old information, there's new information, there's a lot of people trying to do high level and low level. How do you carve out something in that space that you, you can sustain that? I mean, so we actually uh, had, before when we were doing masterminds, it was four times a month, uh, a year. So every quarter we had one, but we had less and less because it was a lot more work for the masterminds. But in reality, uh, I wanted to focus more on the business itself, Signalytics. So that's why we had less. But there is a lot of like stuff that we don't know as uh, e-commerce, right? We, we we have we only know Amazon side. A lot of the sellers only know the Amazon side. They don't know about the other like uh, Shopify. How do they get traffic? How do you get uh, you know internet marketing uh, or affiliate marketing? All those uh, other marketing style were. Still, just uh, just touching the the touching the like the edge of e-commerce. There's so much social commerce. There's there's so much stuff that we don't know as Amazon sellers that we can actually teach. Like uh, I'm breaching the gap between uh, Shopify sellers and Amazon sellers, so that they could actually uh, learn from each other. You know, this is another thing that we were having. Uh, we we can start. Uh, going towards as uh, if as instructors as in um you know trainers because there's a lot that we don't know i, I agree with that I, I think you know there, there's been a focus on amazon centric selling and why why worry about selling anywhere else amazon's got all the eyeballs you can make enough money on amazon and you and you can and even the aggregators have kind of shifted at one point they were only buying amazon-based businesses they didn't really care if you had shopify or anything and then there's other people there saying well it's great to expand to Shopify or to eBay, but Amazon's still going to be the bulk of your business. So if if your Amazon account gets shut down, like you just said, still going to be screwed because it's it's so much. And that could be true. But if you go back and listen to last week's AMPM podcast with June, she's based in Hong Kong and she's developed a, a company called Catalyst that does iPhone cases. And they're crushing it with their iPhone cases. And her sales are 50% Amazon and 50% off Amazon. But one of the interesting things that she said is Amazon, they don't do a whole, they don't do really much PPC on Amazon. They don't, they're not going to be on page one for the results because they're a higher priced phone case, but they do eight figures a year selling phone cases because the way they market off of Amazon with their, with their social media, with their TikToks, with their, their, their press releases and all the other stuff that they do. And Amazon just becomes the shopping cart of choice 
uh, for some of their customers. And that's something that I think, like what you just said, uh, is important for a lot of Amazon sellers. And where I think some of the masterminds and stuff are going to start going to is it's not just going to be just Amazon content, but start thinking about uh, more of Amazon as just a, one main channel and significant channel. But you got to really build true brands. You know, it's it's much more difficult, as Howard knows now, the to the old days of just go find something on Alibaba or sixteen eighty eight and stick your logo on it and sell it is much more challenging now. And you really need to learn how to build true brands and 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 really have a whole marketing system in place. And that's what Signalytics does. Tell tell me, you know, you started Signalytics as like uh, it does influencer marketing. It helps you with uh, with keyword research and uh, wh- what is Signalytics and how do you help sellers. So we're considered uh, a full full stack or full marketing agency, uh, where meaning that we do from A to Z, meaning we even uh, help product selection from China. We have a China warehouse. We help their logistics from China, which is a lot cheaper than the, a lot of average uh, average sellers can get. Uh, we 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 go in and we can even uh, send it to your uh, to FBA, your warehouse, as well as we can actually help rank your products. We do it from A to Z, right, uh, to a lot of the sellers. So um, ranking, uh, we go, we do like a DSP, uh, which is a, a Amazon DSP. We do Amazon PPC. We do media buying. We help you put your products on deal sites. Um, we help you uh, with like SEO, uh, listing optimization. We help with images, videos. We help uh, uh, recruitment, where we, we talked about before, right, a recruitment uh, process outsourcing. For uh, for you, so we, we do like A to Z, full uh, full fledged, you know. So that's what uh, Signalytics does, and we we mainly work with the big sellers. Uh, we're talking about like Xiaomi, or we're talking about the big aggregators out there, and we and a lot of the um, big, big sellers that are within our community as elite seller society. So we we do a, a lot. We we just don't uh, push ourselves out there that much because not everyone can actually. Uh, use our system because uh, it's just like there might be too small or, or whatnot. We're pretty picky with who we work with. We don't pick, we don't work with everyone. Where do you see this going? Where do you see this e-commerce Amazon thing going a, a few years from now? Where do you see it? How do you see it evolving? So we have, we, we do have a lot of uh, like Shopify sellers that we're helping with, with their Amazon. Um, so it's going to be a bridging the gap. I see that, more of the Shopify people out there are good with marketing and maybe Facebook and stuff are coming into Amazon and Amazon people are going into uh, to like uh, Shopify or, or their own website and stuff like that. So they're going to be learning more than just Amazon. I see that uh, Amazon seller needs to you know start learning new things in order to survive within the Amazon ecosystem because there's uh, the, the gap between Amazon and Shopify is getting closer and closer. So you will have to new, know a lot more about uh, social commerce and TikTok and other places where these are called like real marketing. I agree with you. I, I think it's you're going to have to be much more. You're going to need to know Amazon and you're going to need to be much more rounded in the marketing and all the other marketplaces and, and diversify out and create true brands. And that's that's what Signalytics helps people do is is really not just be an, an on Amazon business, but but a true brand that's out there that can stand the test of time, whether Amazon goes away or Shopify goes away or whatever whatever new marketplace or channel shows up, you're prepared and people know you know you by your name. Correct. Um, ha- having different marketplaces that you're selling on and different countries 
and also your website, right? You don't you want to diversify more in the new age of selling on e-commerce. Well, Howard, I really appreciate you coming on to the MPM podcast. It's uh, been great to have you here. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week at the, the Billion Dollar Seller Summit. It's going to be a good time. Have some cigars. You know, sometimes people always ask me, they, they see you post uh, something, you know, uh, my plane was delayed, uh, headed to Phoenix or something. And you see me uh, make a little post like, ah, it's probably the rats chewing on the hydraulics or something. And people are like, what is this thing with rats and Howard and Kevin? So can you tell the people, what what is this thing about the rats that I'm always bringing up rats and 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 we have one other story we'll have to wrap it up with after the rats. But what, what is it about these rats? Oh, I had this. Um, it was my first uh, U.S. mastermind in Las Vegas in a mansion. This guy, right? This guy was sitting next to me. All of a sudden, like, say, do you see a rat? I'm like, what do you mean? This this is a, like a mansion. We're, there's no rats here. And then he says, yeah, I just saw one. He uh, ran, ran, ran across, the, uh, across the floor and stuff. I'm like, no way. And I was like, looking around like... Like 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 a like someone that that was like <laughs> thinking that he was for reals, but you know. And he said, "Look, look at this muffin. It's like uh, it looks like bitten. You know, you know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I think you were there, right, um, Kevin? Can you maybe ex- maybe you can tell um, who that was? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been me. That's this guy. Guess, right. This guy. Yeah, you should tell him the, about the other one too, as well. You were." The one that you were trying to mess with me. Oh, yeah. Well, that one, that one was actually wasn't trying to mess with you on that one. That one just was. So, Howard, uh, I did a, the first billion-dollar seller summit was in Austin uh, back in 2019, May of 2019. And, and Howard came out, and one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to bring one of his buddies that he knew over in one of the big sellers in China that could come over and kind of just say uh, from the Chinese seller perspective what they're doing and stuff. And so this, this fellow named David came with, with Howard, from, flew in from, uh, from China, and he brought an interpreter uh, with him because his English was a little bit, a little bit broken. We this hotel that we used was called the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, and it turns out that this hotel it's a really old, it's a kind of old school Texas hotel. It, you know, it's kind of a reminds you of like a hundred years ago, like you know, big cowboy ish kind of over the top place. But it's it's got a lot of character to it. But one of the things that uh, it's it's known for is it's actually in, on the haunted tours of, of Austin. That's actually one of the stops where when if you do uh, one of these haunted tours of haunted places, they actually stop there. And what happened is uh, Howard, uh, we just assigned rooms, you know, at random or whatever. Uh, my, my producer Mark did, and Howard got this got got this one room. And uh, for some reason, I forget it was your birthday, it was uh, the numbers, or it was bad luck, or what, what was it? You, you end up changing rooms. How did that? Uh, because um, David, the the Chinese seller that I brought over from uh, China to come over to the event to speak, he had my exact birthday uh, number, which is July tenth, which is uh, which was on his little uh, which is key card, which is the room, and he gave me my birthday. So, so seven, seven ten. Yeah. So he gave you. Uh, he gave you. So you all, you all ended up switching rooms. You were in one room, and because he was in room seven ten, which is July tenth, he gave you. That room, and so y'all switched rooms, and then I remember a couple days later, it was uh, one evening after some of the talks, we're sitting down. You know, it's probably 10, 11 o'clock at night or something, maybe later, and uh, a handful of us are sitting down in the lobby just uh, uh, shooting the shit, and all of a sudden we see David hauling ass down the stairs, you know, with this this wide-eyed look, running straight up to the uh, the reception desk, and. And, you know, he's trying to communicate with the reception desk, but his English, he was having a little bit of difficulty because of his English explaining what was going on. 
And so Mark, my event producer, got up to go make sure he was okay because, you know, he's one of the speakers, one of the VIPs. And he gets over there, and what had happened is the room that Howard was supposed to originally be in, that David now had been voluntarily switched to, is actually the room on the Haunted Tour. And so right outside this room is a, like a shrine, it's like a doll and some pictures and stuff. And like 100 years ago, somebody, uh, somebody or a couple people were actually murdered in this room. And so David was laying in the room trying to go to sleep. And all of a sudden he says that, that these ghosts appeared and tried to start talking to him. And he was freaked out. He was completely freaked out. He's like, thank God. Uh, they were trying to speak to me in English. Thank God. Uh, I don't speak good English. I only speak Chinese. They couldn't mess with me. But he, he, he ran down to the front desk to see about getting changed or what to do to get his stuff out of there. And so it was a, it was a, a pretty funny situation. And, and uh, then Howard was like, well, Kevin, I think you, you were trying to mess with me again. You know, you did this rat thing. You're trying to mess with me. It was just pure coincidence. It, it might have looked like I was trying to mess with him, but it was just pure coincidence. <laughs> and so it was, a, it, was a, it was a funny time. So the next day we actually showed some uh, slides in the early morning presentation uh, for David on how to get a ghost detector uh, off of Amazon. There's ghost detectors you can buy on Amazon and everything. It was a, it was a pretty, uh, pretty fun time. I remember that. I still don't. I believe you, Kevin. That you, you did. A, you didn't do anything on purpose. <laughs> I feel like it has to be. It, it can't be a coincidence. I, I wish I was that lucky. You know, I would have been uh, like I would have won the lottery or something like that. <laughs> well, I promise you, there's there's no rats and there's no ghosts uh, at the Fairmont next week for the Billion Dollar Seller Summit. So, I promise you, you'll be safe. We just have some nice cigars ready for you to smoke. Oh, I, I love those. I love those uh, times where we. Uh, Sit, uh, sit around and smoke our cigars and talk about things, Amazon, and good stuff. It was, that's the, it's good that's stuff, the best man. part out of it. it. It is. I mean, that was my favorite thing at your event in Paris is sitting around that campfire till 3 in the morning just you know, talking with, with people and just hanging out, uh, you know, drinking and, and smoking cigars and just shooting the shit. You know, that's, the, uh, that's my favorite part of these events. Well, Howard, again, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you're, you're a good guy. I uh, always enjoy uh, hanging out with you. And uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you shortly. Thank you for having me here. Thanks, guys. I hope you really enjoyed my talk with Howard Tai, the professor of Amazon. I really like doing these for you, Get, let you be a little fly on the wall and listen to us have a little conversation. You don't want to miss next week's episode. Next week is my Billion Dollar Seller Summit. It actually starts this Sunday in Austin, Texas, uh, the live event. There's also an option for online. If, you, if you're not able to make the live event, check that out. But I'm going to be having some nuggets. I'm going to be asking some of the attendees there to give me a quick, short, little one or two minute nugget of information as they check in. And I'm going to be sharing those with you on the podcast. So it should be a lot of action packed, just bang, 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 cool information for Amazon and e-commerce sellers. So be sure to don't miss next week's episode. And also don't forget to check out the Helium 10 Elite Mastermind that we do every month for Helium 10. It's a monthly training where I come on and I speak and I bring on three additional guests and we do a live training. We also do roundtables once a month. So be sure to check out Helium 10 Elite as well. And just to leave you with this week's golden nugget, one of the things that I really believe in is that life is about the experiences you have and the people you meet, not the physical things you buy. Life is about the experiences you have and the people you meet, not the physical things you buy. Because just remember this, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearst because you can't take it with you.
You'll never see a U-Haul behind a Hearst because you can't take it with you. The experiences you have and the people you meet, those last a lifetime. Physical things don't. We'll see you again next week. Take care. 